0: There is one cause for sin, uh, for division, and that is sin. The only cause of division and disharmony in this world is sin. Sin has caused the world to be fallen, to be damaged. By sin, we damaged our relationship with God, we damaged our relationship with others, we damaged our relationship with nature, and we damaged our relationship with ourselves. Yes, we, have, we are composed of many parts, and those parts are at war with each other. Our soul with our body, our higher mind with our lower mind, um, our mind with our passions, our conscious mind with our memory, etc., etc., All of those disharmonies and all of those disunities came into the world by one thing, and that is sin. The day of Pentecost that we commemorate today in our great feast of the liturgical year commemorates that time when the Holy Spirit was sent by God the Father and God the Son as a gift to mankind, and that gift of the Holy Spirit undoes, or undoes, I should say, undoes the effects of sin. That is why the miracle of the languages is so prominent. That's why St. Luke spends some ink in his book telling us about where all of these people were from and how absolutely impossible it would have been for everyone to hear the apostles speaking their language. There's no way that the apostles actually spoke those languages. It is the unity of that miracle where one Galilean can be understood by 20 different people from 20 different cultures and countries. That unity is meant to be then a sign. A sign that the Holy Spirit is going to put back together what sin had divided As sin was a cause of division and disharmony, the Holy Spirit was going to be a cause of unity and harmony. And so, the gift of languages on the day of Pentecost is a sign of the effect of the presence of the Holy Spirit for the very first time in human history. Another miracle of that day, uh, of course, was the parting of the tongues of fire and the coming of each apostle had a tongue of fire upon their head. Um, And sometimes that's depicted um, in art, as we know. Now, the tongue of fire itself is a sign, a sign of something that was happening in the interior. And so we know that as soon as the Holy Spirit was given, the behavior of the apostles changed radically from what it was before. And so, therefore, we know that the tongue of fire was a sign of the fire that was burning in their hearts. The fire of love, the fire of knowledge, the fire of hope, and we might even say the fire of courage. No longer were they afraid of the uh, Jews, no longer were they afraid of persecution. No longer were they afraid of the opinion of men. Their only object then was to share the Holy Ghost with others. They had received it, and their object now and their their mission was to share that gift with others. And they were going to do so um, and not let any obstacle stand in their way. As we know, St. Peter stood up in the very first sermon, therefore, of the church, Peter stood up and said, you, you men from all over the place, you were all here 50 days ago. Because when people made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they didn't. it took so long to get there. They weren't going to just stay for the weekend and then go back home. They stayed for months. You were all here 50 days ago. You all participated in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that he was God. And he allowed himself to be crucified in order to pay for your sins. This was foretold. Not only is this day, the day of Pentecost, foretold in the Old Testament, then he goes on to give authoritative interpretation of sacred scripture. The prophet Joel and the Psalms of David. But then he also says the crucifixion of Christ was foretold. And the people then understood what he was saying. They accepted the veracity of what he was saying. And their reaction was, what do we do now? And his instruction was brief. Repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Just as we have received the Holy Ghost, repent, be baptized, and you also shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, what's not mentioned in that little list is confirmation. Of course, if the apostles have just received the Holy Ghost, they were not going to not confirm. And so indeed, they confirmed, as well as baptized, a 3,000 on that day. The Holy Ghost was given as a gift from the Father and the Son to the Church. It only happened once. Once. It was a gift that was given once. Not twice, not a thousand times, not ten thousand times, once. The Holy Ghost is the possession of the Church. It is our patrimony. It is our treasure, this Holy Ghost, and the the one of the purposes of the existence of the Church, therefore, is to give this treasure to each generation of believers. And that treasure is given in all of the sacraments. Uh, that treasure is given in our teaching. That treasure is given in Holy Mass, but the treasure is also given, therefore, in a particular way, in the sacraments of confirmation, but not uh, not reduced to that. Virtue, as we are often often repeating virtue is often in the middle between two extremes. Virtue is often in the middle between two extremes and that is also true in the life of the church. It is easily the case that we can say to ourselves well if this third person of the Blessed Trinity is the treasure and the possession of of the Roman Catholic Church, the, the, the existence of God on earth should have fairly dramatic effects. We shouldn't have scandals in the church if the Holy Ghost is the possession of the church. We shouldn't have sinners leading... In the hierarchy, we shouldn't have um, we shouldn't have controversies over doctrine. We shouldn't have uh, uncertainties over uh, over morality. We shouldn't have um, any kind of uh, disagreement. If the Holy Ghost has come to bring unity and harmony, where is all the unity and harmony? It's a good question. There are those who will be scandalized by the humanity of the church, not so much by the divinity of the church. Martin Luther made this mistake. Martin Luther saw in Germany that there were cardinals from Rome who were selling indulgences, He then went to Rome to see for himself, and he was duly scandalized by the loose living and uh, corrupt behavior of some of the church officials. Some stories never change. As a result of that, however, he went to the extreme and said, okay, maybe all of those scandals exist because the Holy Spirit is not actually there. So let's get rid of all of that. We don't need it. I, Martin Luther, can have a direct relationship with God. I can be the recipient of the Holy Ghost myself. I don't need all of these corrupt people. And so he threw the baby out with the bathwater. He went to the other extreme, though. Not seeing a paradise that he wanted to find... He rejected everything, and we would say that uh, what he effected was hardly uh, anything better. Instead of following the Pope in Rome, he made himself the Pope, and he himself was also subject to a very weak and fragile humanity. The divine treasure given to the church, given to the world, given to humanity. By God's will, this divine treasure is held in earthen vessels. The vessel is unequal to what it contains. The treasure inside far outstrips the value of the container that, it, that, is, uh, that is holding it. God has determined that this is the arrangement, and there is no other. Yes, when we look around, all we see is a collection, when we look around the church, all we see is a collection of clay pots. These clay pots are fragile. These clay pots are not expensive. These clay pots uh, are not strong. These clay pots don't have much value at all. And the church is nothing but a collection of clay pots. But what is not immediately obvious is what is inside. What is inside each of those clay pots. Because inside the heart of a believer, in the state of grace... Is the third person of the Blessed Trinity. And if that person is confirmed, the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost reside in their heart. Indeed, this is a divine treasure held in an earthen vessel. Why God wanted to make it this way, I don't know. But what I do know is that he wanted to make it this way. In order to live well in this world, I must in humility accept the fact that we have the greatest of graces, the greatest of gifts, and yet this divine gift is held in a very humble container. And it's very easily the case that we can be scandalized by the container and lose sight of what is less visible. That is the Holy Ghost present in the church. That Holy Ghost that enables us to be unified. Now, let's talk about that union for a second. The union that we have with the church is this. I know for certain that I believe exactly what the apostles believed. How is it possible that I could be certain of that? Is it because I'm really smart? Is it because I'm the world's best historian? Is it because I had a video camera sitting there in the upper room? That is divine unity where I know with certainty that there are believing Catholics in every country of this world today, I am unified with them in grace and in doctrine. And that unity of this current day spans from this day back to the very day of Pentecost. It is a union that is not Diminished by time or space. Where does that union come from? Does the Roman Catholic Church just have a brilliant organizational structure? Just very specific and detailed policies of teaching the next generation? No, it has none of that. We need more of that, but as it is. Where does our union come from? The gift of the third person of the Blessed Trinity. That is where our unity and our harmony come from. Now, there are some bad consequences to the fact that this divine gift, this divine treasure being held in earthen vessels There are some bad consequences to the fact that this treasure is held by earthen vessels. And that is um, one of the reasons is uh, one of the bad things is pointed to by Christ in the gospel today, where he says, I leave you my peace, my peace I give unto you, but not as the world gives do I give unto you. Our Lord is telling us in no uncertain terms, there is a true peace and there is a false peace. There is authentic unity and there is false unity. There is true security and false security. That the world has its own versions of these true virtues that come from God. True peace has to be fought for. In heaven, there is no fighting. In heaven, in paradise, there is perfection. That perfection will not exist here. True peace has to be fought for. And we don't like fighting, and sometimes we think that fighting is contrary to God, and indeed it is. However, sometimes peace must be fought for. Sometimes the truth has to be fought for. Sometimes security has to be fought for. Sometimes union has to be fought for. The clay vessels bang into each other and break and crack. We must work and forgive. And we must be gentle. But we look for a paradise. We might reject the whole thing because it's not a paradise those are the two extremes in the middle in this imperfect church in this very human kingdom of Christ there is a treasure that is ineffable it cannot be comprehended it is so great of a gift it cannot be fully described in human language it Supersedes our ability to speak of it. This is the gift that has been given to the church on the day of Pentecost, and it remains our possession. It is the case that we have more than we know. Is it possible for us to have a gift that we're not even aware of? Oh yes, especially when that gift is a mystery. We have much, much more than we are aware of. We have God who wants to abide in our heart. The paradise of the church does not exist between the earthen vessels, but the paradise can exist Within the heart of a believer, where the Holy Spirit abides. That is where paradise is for now in this world. And that paradise, if appreciated, then, like the apostles, it spills over in an attempt. And in a mission to give that paradise to others in the Holy Spirit. We have been given a great grace, a great gift in the day of Pentecost. And that gift is still ours to enjoy. God love you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.